Let's turn to scripture now. We're going to be reading from the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2, 22 to 41. This is Peter's sermon at Pentecost. Acts, 20, Acts chapter 2, verses 22 to 41. Listen to the word of God. Peter says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses." Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this, that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Amen. Let's pray for God's help as we come to his word now. Lord, we pray that you would help us by your Holy Spirit to listen carefully to your word and to be changed, for our hearts to be changed, for our thinking to be changed, for our desires, our actions, our speech, everything about us to be changed by you. And we pray that you would do this because you've promised to do this in our lives. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning our sermon comes from Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, verses 21 to 25. It's Mark chapter 4 verses 21 to 25. Continuing on in our series in Mark, we'll be going through the parables of Jesus in Mark chapter 4. 
Listen to this parable of Jesus, starting in verse 21. And he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed, and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. One of the things that we see in that passage is that God's word requires a response. I'm reminded of that actually as um, I've been reading through the book of Acts. I'm always struck by how Peter and Paul and the other disciples, they, they preach all these sermons and the people respond. Uh, sometimes in dramatic ways, in great faith, and sometimes in dramatic ways by attacking them, uh, by even stoning Paul at least once. But there's other responses as well. Sometimes people just respond by thinking over what they've, they've said. But no one goes away without having heard the truth and been challenged in their thinking. And in our passage in Mark, Jesus is proclaiming a, a similar truth that God's word, the message of the kingdom, requires a response. As we look at this passage together, the main idea is that how we respond to what Jesus reveals about the kingdom of God has eternal consequences. Again, how we respond to what Jesus reveals about the kingdom of God has eternal consequences. It really matters to respond to what you've heard from Jesus. So look at that together. We'll see two points. We'll see first the revealing of the kingdom in verses 21 to 23. And second, our response to the kingdom in verses 24 to 25. So first, the revealing of the kingdom, verses 21 to 23. As I said, we're in the middle of a set of parables Jesus told about the kingdom of God. Kingdom of God is God's saving rule come to us. It's humanity and all creation saved and restored. And last week we saw Jesus' opening parable, the parable of the sower, when Jesus describes what it looks like when he brings the kingdom of God. He powerfully spreads the word everywhere. Some reject it, but many others accept it and are greatly blessed. And the kingdom grows though not how we may expect. Well, in verses 21 to 23, our passage this morning, Jesus is again talking about the kingdom of God. He doesn't use that phrase here, but if we look at the context of Mark and the context of the surrounding parables, Jesus' focus on the kingdom of God becomes clearer. And here in these verses, Jesus promises that the kingdom of God will be fully revealed. Everybody will know about the kingdom of God. The the first part of this parable is a vivid image of a lamp. Verse 21, And Jesus said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? I I think all of us, including the kids, know the answer to Jesus' questions here. I mean, wouldn't it be so weird if you brought a lamp into your bedroom where it's dark and you plugged it into the wall, and then you put it under your bed. 
Or you got, you know, your laundry basket and put it on top of the lamp. That would be weird. Why in the world would you do something like that? Lamps are meant to give light. They're meant to shine. That's their purpose. So you would want to put the lamp in the best place in the room to be able to shine everywhere. So what's the connection between this lamp that Jesus is talking about and the kingdom of God? Well, they share the same purpose. And what is the purpose of the kingdom of God? God's purpose for his kingdom is that he will make sure that everyone knows his saving rule on earth. Think about an amazing promise like what God says in Habakkuk 2. This is his promise. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That's a promise that everyone will know God's glory as creator and as savior. I'm not saying that everyone will accept that truth in faith, but God will reveal that truth. He will reveal his glory to all men. So God's kingdom will be like that lamp that shines brighter and brighter, and no one will be able to ignore it. Jesus develops this idea of revealing the kingdom of God in verse 22. He says, For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. Jesus is again highlighting a purpose. The things that are hidden are are meant to be made manifest. The secrets are meant to come to light. Jesus' words might be surprising because that's not usually why we hide things or why we keep secrets. If I tell you a secret, I hope you won't tell anybody else. That's kind of the point of why I'm telling you a secret. But that's not true with the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, the things that are hidden now will be made clear later. Uh, Think about the kingdom of God like a birthday present. Think about a birthday present. We, We buy a present and then we, we wrap it up in paper. And if we got it really early, we might even hide it away, especially if there's some um, very curious young people around. Um, but the purpose of the present is not to stay hidden. I don't just leave it in my closet in the back corner wrapped up in paper. Of course not. We bring it out and we give it to the person so that they can open it and enjoy it. Well, Jesus is saying something similar about the kingdom of God. There's a sense that the kingdom of God is temporarily hidden during Jesus' ministry on earth. Parts of it are not clear. But God's purpose is soon to take off that wrapping paper and to show the kingdom in its fullness to the world. As as we've looked through Mark, we've seen Jesus Jesus at work and we understand what he's saying here. Jesus is proclaiming and bringing the kingdom... But there's so much more that's going to come. Think about what he's been doing. He's preached about the kingdom of God. He's forgiven sins. He's made disciples. He's resisted Satan, defeated demons. He's reversed the effects of the fall by healing people. All of these are part of Jesus' work of bringing the kingdom of God. Jesus is bringing God's saving rule through his work. But this is just the beginning This is just the beginning of Jesus' work. If you look forward in the gospel, you find Jesus' death 
and his resurrection. That is when the kingdom is established and more fully revealed. That's when Jesus defeats Satan once and for all. That's when Jesus saves his people from our sins. That's when Jesus rises from the dead in power as king. If I can kind of combine a few pictures from the Bible, um, Jesus is that lamp. He is the light of the world. And in his death and resurrection, he shines the most clearly as he reveals the true extent of the salvation he wins and the kingdom that he brings. And when that happens, when Jesus dies and is raised, and especially when as king, he pours out his spirit on his church, that's when his people get it. That's when his people understand more fully who he is as king and what the kingdom of God is. Let me give you an illustration of this dramatic change from the life of Peter. Remember Peter, one of the greatest disciples? Well, in Matthew 16, Peter doesn't understand that Jesus needs to, be, needs to die and be raised. Listen to these verses. So from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Classic Peter here. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. This is Peter. This is Jesus' closest disciple. And he doesn't understand some of the very basic parts of the kingdom of God. Like the need for Jesus to die and be raised. That's the old Peter who is only looking at the kingdom and he can't see all the pieces. But after his death and resurrection, we see a different Peter. We see a Peter in the book of Acts. We read from Acts 2 earlier about Jesus, uh, about Peter's sermon about Jesus at Pentecost. And that is a very different Peter. He is empowered by the Spirit and he has the understanding of the Spirit. And now he is boldly preaching about the necessity of Jesus' death and resurrection for salvation. And he is calling on people to repent and believe in Jesus Christ. After Jesus' death, resurrection, gift of the Holy Spirit, Peter now understands. He understands so much more about the kingdom of God, the work of Christ, and the need for a response from everyone. As we think about the meaning of Jesus' parable here, as he's saying that the kingdom will slowly but surely be more apparent, and finally when he's dead and raised, then boom, it'll be there and we'll see it so clearly. As we think about what he's saying in this parable, the need for faith to understand becomes so evident. Jesus says, if anyone has ears, let him hear. The people of Jesus' day who heard his parable needed God's help to understand and believe the spiritual truth that Jesus was teaching. Because like all parables, the truth was not obvious. Remember what we saw last week about the purpose of parables. And they needed God's help because understanding any spiritual truth, no matter how clearly it's explained, even if Jesus taught them as he taught his disciples, understanding any spiritual truth requires the help of the Holy Spirit. But in our passage, Jesus now goes further to describe the significance of how 
We respond to his message about the kingdom. That's what we see secondly here, our response to the kingdom in verses 24 to 25. Jesus has revealed a lot about the kingdom of God in his parables, but the question is, how do we respond? Jesus tells us what we need to do in verse 24. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. That's his basic command. Pay attention. Paying attention means a lot more than just hearing Jesus' words, right? It means thinking about what he said and ultimately acting on it, having our lives changed by what Jesus says. Paying attention to Jesus' words is the response of faith. And Jesus explains the importance of listening that way, of listening in faith to his words. He says, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And still more will be added to you. It's probably not a phrase that we use so much today, but he's using a saying from his own day. I think the closest that we have today is probably something like tit for tat, right? But you, this is a, a positive way. If you do something, you'll get something equal in return. That's what Jesus is saying about how we listen to his word. His point is that the way you listen and believe his words matters. Because God rewards you. Now, we know that God does reward those who seek him. Think about it in Hebrews eleven six. 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Jesus is making a similar point here. God will bless those who hear and believe and live according to Jesus' words. Just stop and think about it, though. It's amazing that God does this because he's the one who gives us that faith and obedience in the first place. And then he promises, I'm going to give that and you're going to respond rightly and I'm going to bless you. But God's blessing is is far beyond the depth of our own faith. Far beyond the depth of our, our faith ever. Jesus says, notice, still more will be added to you by God. This is part of the gracious nature of God's blessing. He goes above and beyond to bless us as we come to him. In verse 25, Jesus broadens his point to show the effects of our response to his word. Listen again. He says, For to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Now, when you hear those words, you might might think it's not fair. Why should the person who already has things get more? And why should the person who doesn't really have much get all of that taken away? Um, that's, That's the way God works. That's the way God works. It is fair. might not be how we treat our children or something like that, but this is the way God works, and it's fair because Jesus is talking about faith and blessing and judgment. The person who has is the person who believes. He understands Jesus and his work, and he believes. And God will continue to bless him, to give him more. These are all the blessings that we receive through Jesus. But think about all the blessings that he's already giving us now. God has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, Ephesians 1. And there's more to come. There's more to come. There's the fullness of many of those very same blessings, Not just fellowship with God, but perfect fellowship with God. 
And beyond that, there's even more blessings like enjoying a new heavens and new earth. We don't even have that now. We're going to get that later. The point is that God blesses each person who listens and believes his message of salvation, his message of the kingdom. But what about those who hear that message? That call to repent and believe, to respond to the seed that's thrown by the sower. What about those people who hear those words and do not respond in faith? Well, God takes away the very truth that they have heard as the first act of judgment against them. God is judging people for their unbelief. It's not God's fault that so many people in Jesus' day and even today hear the good news and do not believe. It's not God's fault. The problem is us. The problem is our sin. We do not want to respond in faith. In fact, we cannot respond in faith because we are dead in our sins. And God justly holds us responsible for our unbelief, our sin against him. Jesus is showing in this passage that God's just judgment for sin begins even now. When God takes away the word as judgment for unbelief. Again, we saw last week that this happens through Jesus' parables. Many in Israel refused to believe Jesus when he preached the word to them. So Jesus chose to use parables so that they would see the truth but not understand what he was saying. Now the judgment that Jesus is warning about here is, is a foretaste of the final judgment when Jesus returns and he, and he judges the world. At that point, there is no more opportunity to respond in faith. Some people I've met seem to think that when they die or when Jesus returns, they're going to get a second chance to make things right with God. That's not true. The Bible says it very clearly. Hebrews, it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. Jesus, the just judge, is going to judge people for their rejection of him. Everyone knows God and has rejected him. See that in Romans 1. And so many people have had a greater blessing, not just of knowing God through nature, but they've had the greater blessing of hearing the gospel of hearing about the love of God for sinners, and yet they have still chosen to reject God. Those who have chosen to reject God, what they know in nature, what they've heard in the gospel, they will only experience God's eternal wrath in hell. That is what is waiting for everyone who turns their back on God. Now, if we look at our passage carefully this morning, we see that Jesus' call for a response of faith was then. And in his day, then when the kingdom was in, still in so many ways unclear, and yet what he revealed was more than enough for saving faith. He said, repent and believe, and so many did. And what Jesus promised happened. When they repented and believed, God abundantly blessed the disciples. But if he could call for a response of faith, then that also means that what Jesus revealed was more than enough for just judgment on unbelief. Many who heard and rejected Jesus and his message began to receive God's just judgment even then. If that was true then, so many years ago, 
before Jesus' death and resurrection, how much more true is this today? We have so much more of God's revelation. We can read about the person and work of Jesus Christ and God's rule throughout the entire New Testament. We have the whole Bible. God's revelation requires a response. And the way we respond leads to a result. Faith leads to blessing. Rejection leads to judgment. That's the clear teaching of Scripture. Now, if you hear these words about Jesus and the salvation that he's offering and the kingdom he brings, and you realize that you have not repented of your sins and you have not trusted in Jesus, pray that God would give you the repentance and the faith that you need. Pray that he would help you to respond rightly to him and then turn to him and he promises, you see him here, he will abundantly bless you. Now, I know many of us have already put our faith in Jesus Christ. We're part of his kingdom now. Well, the words of this passage are still meant for us. And let me point out just two things as we close about how this applies to us today. First is this, how we listen to Jesus as believers still matters. We know our salvation is secure, so our obedience doesn't earn us salvation, but our obedience, our listening to Jesus, is fruit of our salvation. Jesus is telling the disciples, his followers, to listen carefully to his words. And that's true for us. We are able to grow now in our desire for God's word. We're able to grow in our ability to understand and apply his word to our lives. All of these things are gifts from God through his Holy Spirit. But these things also require us to work to study the scriptures, to pray for his help, to think about what he said, to talk to one another, to apply all of God's word to all of our life. Let's be practical. Take time to prepare to hear God's word preached Sunday by Sunday. And we send out the bullets in ahead of time. Read the passage at home. Pray for help for you and for me and for all of us to understand. And when you go home after church, Take time to reflect on what you've heard. Pray about it. Talk about it. Do what it says. God will bless that kind of obedience. And I'm sure that many of us can share stories of how God has blessed us as we've done those things, as we've come to his word, in preaching especially or by ourselves. But God blesses his people. And those blessings that we ourselves can recognize and see in our own lives they're probably just a tiny portion of all of the blessings God is pouring out as we listen carefully to believe and obey his word. So how we listen matters. But secondly and finally, we can also live with anticipation. Live with anticipation. God in Christ has brought his kingdom. We are living under his rule and we are living in his blessing but we're actually still in a very similar position to the position of the disciples in our passage because there is so much more coming. You can say that the lamp of the kingdom is shining. The secret has been revealed, but we're still waiting for more. We're still waiting for the full revelation of Jesus as king when he returns at the second coming. We're still waiting for the full revelation of God's kingdom when God restores all of creation in Christ in the new heavens and the new earth. 
And we are still waiting to see what, what we will be like when we are made to be like Christ when he returns. And we are still waiting for the greatest blessing to see God face to face in heaven forever. There is so much more waiting for us as members of the kingdom of God. We know so much now. We are blessed so much now. And there is an infinite amount waiting for us. Pray, to reflect on this passage, pray that God would make us all heavenly minded to more and more desire and to seek the fullness of the kingdom of God. And also to more and more pray that way. To pray that his kingdom would come. To pray for Jesus' return in his glory. So listen carefully and live with anticipation. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that uh, we are able now to look back at your completed work on the cross. We can see the cross and the empty tomb and we know so much more of the greatness of what you have done. Lord, we thank that you have brought your kingdom and that we are all citizens of that kingdom if we have put our faith in you and that you promise to bless us and we can look at our lives and we can see so many blessings and that we're only seeing a tiny portion of what you've done for us. We pray, Lord, that you would continue to bring your kingdom in our lives, through this church, in the lives of those who are outside of you. And Lord, we pray that you would make us look forward to when you return and your work is done and all of us and all creation will be able to be perfect and to be made right with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.